In the 1970s, a future top-notch podcasting team was born, and then raised on military bases because their dads were in the Air Force. These Gen Xers eventually grew up and were unleashed upon the world. Today, looking forward to retirement, they survive by dishing out their opinions. If you have questions that need answers and an open mind, if you can spare 60 minutes a week, and if you have internet access, maybe you can listen to Kenyatta and Jack Save the World. Listening friends, hey, howdy, how are you? Thanks, thanks, thanks for tuning in and coming back and joining us again. As always, we are here to save the world. That is our goal. It never ends. And if you don't already know it, I'm Kenyatta. One of these gentlemen with me today is Jack. The other is a good friend of the podcast. His name is Tim Bird, music producer extraordinaire. He is here to join us for a special, special, special two-parter on what? You ask, what can we be doing a two-parter on that's so important? Easy. The 50th anniversary of the genre of music known as hip-hop. Yes, 50 years, people. 50 years. While I will not say any of us are spring chickens, we are all very seasoned. So we remember the the origins (laughs) of this genre all the way up until its current inception. And we're here to talk about it. We are here to talk about it. Jack, how are you? I'm fantastic. I am fantastic. Yep. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Indeed. Indeed. And like I said, with us is our friend Tim Bird, music producer extraordinaire. He's going to offer up his invaluable insight into this genre. Tim, welcome back. Thanks for coming. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me back. Lovely. (laughs) Lovely. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for coming and sharing your your expertise. No doubt. No doubt. Love it. So, um, as I mentioned, 50 years of this particularly very important, ever-evolving genre. And to think when the masses at large started hearing this coming out over the airwaves, they were like, it's just a fad. It'll pass. There's nothing to it. Here we are 50 years later. Hip-hop is not only a musical genre, it is a culture. It is a lifestyle. It has been seeped into and embedded into everything we see across the pop culture landscape. And this is no lie, no fabrication, no exaggeration. It is what it is. We shan't deny it any longer. Without further ado, we'll get into it. I'm going to talk about first the history of, or the origins of, per se, hip-hop, or as you like, rap. Early hip-hop saw its beginnings in late 1970s on the East Coast, specifically in New York City. And most historians and pop culture critics will say it is it originated from a specific event that took place on August 11th, 1973, at a graduation party that a fellow by the name of DJ Cool Herc threw for his sister in the rec room of the apartment building at 1520 Sedgwick Avenue in the Bronx. Hmm, he says. Let me do something to get the people going. And let's just be clear. House parties and rent room parties were already a thing. Because this is this is a way, especially in those particular neighborhoods, that 
The young folks had a letting on steam, living life, playing music, dancing, partying. That's what they did. But at this particular party, Claire Hurt had an idea. Let's let's do something different. Let's get the people going. So DJs at the time would, of course, uh, have what we used to call vinyl albums, kids, vinyl Mm -hmm. albums, big old disc that music was embedded on that you played through a needle dropped on the grooves in the record. And in playing these records, Cool Hurt found out that there was a certain part of songs. And a lot of the songs that were played at the time were um, R&B, funk or whatever the particular genre was at the time. And those, they disco. weren't necessarily disco, um, house that uh, came from a different part of the country. Um, but they would incorporate and use different parts of songs and just string the songs along to keep people dancing and going. So Cool Hurt realized there's a certain part of the song that didn't have any vocalization, just instrumentals, that the people would, you know, go off on a little bit more than usual. So what he found a way to do he would extend out the better part of the song, either letting it play and then pulling up the needle, dropping it down again and replaying the same part over and over and over again. That particular concept or that uh, process became known as what's called a break. And that was, that was all it was. It was just the instruments, no vocals, played over and over and over again. The process of playing it over and over again became known as looping. And then at a certain point, people started talking over it, rhyming. What was known at the time as spoken word became incorporated um, into talking over these repeating beats. And really, basically, that's the basic fundamentals of what rap became. Rhyme, spoken word over looping beats. Am I, am, am I hitting that as, as yep. far as? What Herc eventually decided to do, um, and this wouldn't necessarily the same party, but as he played more and more parties, he started doing new things. He would play the instrumental break from one particular song and then switch over to the instrumental break from another song. And he would loop different instrumental breaks from each song back to back to back to back. And that was a method that eventually began to be called the merry-go-round. So, Influenced by these new methods of playing music at these parties, other DJs in the area started developing new, and the record players were called turntables kits. <laughs> the DJs um, playing these parties would start um, coming up with new and more innovative ways to play the music over and over again. One method was called needle dropping. And as I mentioned, playing a record album meant that um, there was a needle dropped into the grooves of the album that would play the song. So what DJs would end up doing was they would mark certain parts of the record that had where they knew instrumental breaks would be, lifting up the needle and just dropping it, lifting up the needle and just dropping it, and looping these parts of the songs together. After a while, they found one turntable or one the ability to play one album wasn't enough. So eventually dual turntable sets were created to where you could play one album over here and one over here and constantly go back and forth, just switching the breaks of the songs and looping them together. And like I said, a lot of the songs that they used were, you know, funk, R&B, house, disco. And yes, disco was still happening. It it wasn't dead yet. But 
they managed to loop and combine all of these other basic genres into almost seamless songs. And while the evolution of the music was happening, in comes the evolution of the spoken word that was being done over it. And that's where obviously we get the idea of rapping. The spoken word element is really nothing more than just rhyming lines. And a lot of times the subject matter of these kinds of songs were everyday things, living in the neighborhood, um, employment, jobs, how things were going good, how things were going bad. It was more, it was a reflection of the times and where they lived at. And it was truly a music genre for the youth at the time. A lot of it was rooted in a certain disaffection because we're talking about a genre that came out of the inner cities and um, a lot a lot of times, and this is not a knock, this is just the circumstances as they were, a lot of times kids were, or young, the younger folks were unemployed or underemployed, and there was a certain level of dissatisfaction. They wanted things to go better. And even if they weren't that good, they talked about how it could be better, for instance, or, you know, I got this new job, or I saw this girl walking down the street, or I went to this party, or I did this, or did this. They would just talk about life in general. And for many, for quite a long time, the genre stayed more regional and encapsulated there in New York City. It wasn't it wasn't a phenomenon that blew up. It was like a gradual build, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Slow um, burn. Slow burn. There you go. Like and you found more and more young folks were willing to run into each other on the streets and just start what they call battling. And they would just literally just go back and forth rhyming against each other. Um, all innocent at that particular point in time. He had many kids that would uh, that came up during that time, many artists. Eventually, there's certain, I guess you can call pillars, that came to be created um, out of the hip-hop genre. And most scholars and pop culturalists will agree that there were four main elements to the hip-hop genre. The first, uh, which I mentioned, which is DJing, which is just making the music, using the albums and the record players and the turntables, and eventually DJ mixers, rapping, which was the rhyming style over the lyric, I mean, over the music, graffiti, or what eventually named, became known to be tagging, which was some people call it messy. I call it art, really. I've seen some beautiful graffiti work, but that's pretty much, you know, spray painting and decorating buildings and other areas in the neighborhood and break dancing, which has in a way it still exists. It's just evolved into something. It still has its basis, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But it's evolved into something else that still exists out there. And from break dancing um, came the terms be boys and be girls. And that was really nothing more. It was one of y'all can probably describe it better than I can as far as what breakdancing kind of involves. Well, that's I'm- a mixture of um, this is Tim, by the way, yeah. <laughs> um, mixture of like martial arts, ballet, uh, street dancing, regular just dancing, mixing them all, fusing them all together. A lot of the moves really came from a lot of the Saturday morning ca- um, Kung Fu theater mm-hmm. uh, movies back yeah. in the um, 70s. Yeah. Definitely. And gymnastics. And gy- yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Gymnastics. Yeah. I just sort of thought, you know, uh, breakdancing is almost like if you were to take parkour and make it into a dance, that's yeah, breakdancing. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> I remember like, I, I'm sure Jack can um, probably remembers too. When we were kids, like everything was coming to us in the Midwest, like six to eight months 
later. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so we didn't see breakdancing until what the mid late eighties ish. Uh, I guess it'd be whenever the movie Breaking came out, maybe yeah, a little but, before that. But I'm trying yeah. to think when that was that eighty five ish when Breaking came out. Eighty four. Okay. Eighty four, because I think B Street was before that, right? B Street was the first one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll get there. It wasn't the exact first one, but you're close. But you're close. But yeah, it was well, probably Wild like- Style was the first video video thing. But but as far yeah. as like the movie, as far as in the theaters that that Harry ironically, Harry Bada Belafonte was a part of mm-hmm. Beat Street, sure which was. um kind of touched on uh, you know, hip hop. Uh, you said six to eight months you guys got it out in Oklahoma? That's being generous. <laughs> That's crazy because I was living in Germany when hip hop actually started getting to everybody. Actually, 79, I was in D.C. I was living in D.C. That's when um, Rapper's Delight came out. Then we moved to Germany in 81. So 81 to 82, we were already breakdancing. I don't know how we got it before you guys got it. it it's like I said, I want to, I, I may be off on my recollection it may have been a little earlier than that right. um because jack i know you didn't you didn't end up um there on on base until what sixth grade right fifth grade it-, it was december of fifth grade 1983 okay it might have been around there maybe yeah. a okay so after. breaking came out 84 thanks to google thank you google, thanks, google. <laughs> yeah and that's when uh the most important well maybe not important thing but if you could find a nice cardboard box from like a fridge or a washing machine that you could go and then you know sometimes you duct tape several of them together and that that was way before amazon when you could have had all sorts of cardboard dance floors today but no exactly (laughs) back then it was (laughs) we used to find them next to dumpsters it didn't matter if it was dirty or not we went yeah yeah, and tape them all together and oh god i can't believe we used to spin on our heads with that that's crazy (laughs) yeah and like yeah. we did, like things didn't get broke because I I never attempted it. I understood my limitations even then. I I am not a graceful creature, so <laughs> I, I used to the, the step back and and watch the. It was it was usually the guys that yeah, were doing it. Was, it. Yeah. it was yeah. usually the guys and sometimes one girl and ironically sometimes one Caucasian girl. Mm-hmm. Actually, I I have one friend I still keep in touch with to this day from Germany. And she lives out in Arizona. She was like one of the few white girls that could actually get down. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. I don't yeah. I don't remember. I remember there was specifically two, three, two, three white guys that I knew that would do yeah. it often. And we would just and being base kids, you know, there's obviously places you weren't supposed to go, but we went there anyway. So right. that's a, that's that's where we would all end up. You know, in any any random given day, someone would drag out the big cardboard and there'd be a gang of just standing around and someone would have their little their little boom box and, and listen friends that are young. Boom box. Yeah. Is <laughs> a big old portable tape recorder. <laughs> uh, yep. You were living the dream if you had dual deck. Y- oh, yes. Yeah. Boxes. Yes. Those ones that took like 10 double D batteries and burned out like after an hour and 10 minutes or something like that <laughs> yeah it would, it would take you all of circuit city folks yes. circuit City's back in the day in order for you to get any batteries to power up that bad boy <laughs> the boom box the boom box if yeah and a good example of that is um the scene and do the right thing yeah <laughs> radio <laughs> Raheem. he's like i need 
battery. He's like, we don't have, I need battery. He was adamant. Yeah. Adamant. That, that part, that's funny to me. I, like I said, my memory's shaky, but that may be, it may have been around the mid to late 80s-ish that we were, all of us were into that kind of thing. And being, you know, and you know this too as well, Tim, being military kids, you know, we saw kids and cultures from all over the world. So, right, right. you know, it was just one of those things to do until it wasn't. But, right. You know, and, yeah. and also hip hop influenced um, style of dress. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Parachute and, pants, um, anyone? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> And Here. sneakers, you know, saying that not everybody wore sneakers was really for sports or PE mm-hmm, mm-hmm. only type thing, but it, it became like everyday wear. Yep, yep. Um, sneakers and the um, the sweatsuits. Yep. Which used to be again just for you know athletes, usually like basketball players or something like that, and then everybody had everything that was wrong ended up being right. Yes. Like, ooh, let's get this now. Okay, right. sure. I, I never had any of that. I don't. I don't know. I was just. I was a square kid. I'm gonna say it. I'm just. I was just a square kid. So. I was a participant. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a couple of pair of parachute pants. Did you? I did. Yeah. I, did not. I couldn't even get a hold of a member, members only jacket. What can I tell you? Oh yeah, members only. I used to steal my father's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just recently saw some Shaw was watching that was steeped in the '80s, and one of the characters had that. And it was the one I always covered. It was the light gray members only. Uh, like, mm, I wish I had that back in the day. <laughs> oh, wow. So it wasn't until 1979 that the term hip hop would actually be coined and adopted as the so-called official name for this particular movie genre. Interchangeably, it's been called rap, but as far as I'm concerned and as far as I know, those two have kind of always been interchangeable since the beginning. Yeah. So interestingly enough, when we talk about um, hip hop, where did the word come from? A lot of people agree that it actually was supposedly originated from what's often considered the first so-called big hip hop song. But I have news. It wasn't necessarily the first big hip hop song. It was probably the first one to see quote unquote commercial success, but it wasn't necessarily the first one. So here's a fun thing that I pulled up. And this was a song that was recorded months ahead, mere months ahead of the first official hip hop song. And this is a little ditty by a fella named Bill Curtis and his band called the Fat Bat Band. Also done in 1979. And the song is called King Tim the Third, Personality yep. Job. It goes a little something like this. To the break, everybody. To the break, everybody. Two, four, six, eight. Fat back, don't you hesitate. I remember that. I was in D.C. at the time. I was a kid. I think it was like eight or nine. Yeah. 
And like I said, I, I didn't know that until maybe very recently. And I didn't even think of that as, well, shit happened. Um, Hip hop didn't exist at all. I didn't think of it as that culture. It was just another funk song mm-hmm, along mm-hmm. with the other um, funk bands like um, George Clinton and all them. Yes. I mean, yes. Yeah. And that, and that that's a fine example of how other genres of music were used and incorporated into, you know, this this mm-hmm. fresh new genre. Right. So even though this recon- this song was apparently recorded months ahead of what people consider the quote first hip hop song, this particular song, as fun as it is, did not see any kind of popularity because it was regional, like Tim's. Yeah. Did. So it never really made any moves, but that doesn't make it unimportant. Right. And Fatback was one of those bands to where it wasn't crossover. Right. Right. You know, they really, they really weren't crossover because I remember them, their covers and all that stuff, Fatback band and, and all that. It was more like in a certain kind of genre, people who didn't venture out of that style of music didn't listen to anything else. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like an underground type thing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And like and, you said, being out of, what did you say, D.C.? Yeah, I was in D.C. at the time. Like you had the funk, you had the R and B, and then um, Go Go. We also Go-Go. had Go Go. Thank you. That's where I was going with that because Go Go came along eventually in the mid late eighties. Yes. Yeah, it came out like popular, but yeah, I remember as a kid seeing Go Go bands like EU. Yeah. I saw them when I was a kid. Didn't know who they were, but I ended up later on working with the drummer. Oh yeah. Uh, from EU, name um, Juju. That's his name. Something like that. Yeah, I'd like I think I think the rest of us didn't learn about EU until um was it school days? Yes, do, the butt, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Likely, yeah. Yep. So the rest of us was like, what is this? What what's going on? And as a funny side story, like a few years ago, I was talking to um some of my sorority sisters. I I went to school and, and joined my sorority back in when I was in college in you know in Oklahoma. I've been here in Virginia for more than 25 years now. So now I've had more than a passing taste of, of what GoGo is. And we were talking about something and I mentioned GoGo. And one of my stories is just like, what? Yeah. I said, GoGo. What's GoGo? It's a genre. What? I said, EU, the butt. Oh, okay, okay. I'm like, what you mean you don't know about GoGo? And I'm like, I forget where I am and where I've been living at this whole time. Because if you, if you, unless you, and like, like Tim mentioned, unless that's a genre of music you're already familiar with and like, you're not going to go seek it out unless it's coming to you. So, you know, my one sister, sister, she's still at that time she lived in Arizona, and I don't know that she had ever been further east than Oklahoma. So it wasn't necessarily a genre of music that she listened to or sought out. So kind of the actual name of the genre was like, oh, okay, yeah, I've heard that before. And like, you know, since then I've heard of all the other, you know, go-go greats, you know, the great Chuck Brown. And you yeah. you can't, you couldn't go to a club, you know, here in Virginia and not hear go-go. It's, it's one of the standard genres played in the club, especially clubs with people of a certain age. So it's crazy <laughs> because the term go-go Prior to, because, you know, I was I was actually a nasty little kid. It used to be go-go as far as, like, go-go dancers. Yes. At, like, strip clubs and something like that, you know, mm-hmm. I mean? or going to a go-go, whatever it was. But, yeah, go-go yep. music was really big. Rare, rare Essence, I think yes. that was it. Rare Essence, all of them. 
Yes. Yeah. When that six was it? Then they had six in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not. I'm. I'm not, I don't want to go too far off. Anyway. <laughs> so, but that particular song that we you know just heard that was like I said done some months before this next one, and this is the one most people have heard of and considered the so-called first hip hop song. Jack, do you have that? I do. Let me uh, let me push some play here. The Sugar Hill Gang. Now what you hear is not a test. I'm rapping to the beat. And me, the groove, and my friends are gonna try to move your feet. You see, I am Wonder Mike, and I like to say hello. Or to the black, to the white, the red, and the brown, and the purple, and yellow. But first, I gotta bang, bang, the boogie to the boogie. Say up, jump, the boogie to the bang, bang, boogie. Let's rock. You don't stop. Rock the rhythm, that'll make your body rock. Well, so far, you've heard my voice, but I brought two friends along. And next on the mic is my man, Hank. Come on, Hank, sing that song. There we go. Yes. Still remember it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you were lip syncing pretty good there. <laughs> I used to steal those lyrics and used to use them in battle raps, which is another <laughs> subject we need to talk about, battle rap. That's right. That's um right. <laughs> yes, that's that that brought a whole bunch of a whole bunch of memories back. I I just I adore the line where he talks about going to his friend's house and the food was nasty. Like <laughs> Yeah. And that's, yeah. I mean, that's what the early, you know, hip hop songs were about. It's just everyday things. Yeah. And when you think yeah. about, when you think about the early, the early rappers, a lot of them were storytellers. Yeah. They're literally just talking about everyday random things. Yeah. So with that, a lot of the rappers that came up at the very beginning include Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Yep. And they had a song in 1982 called The Message. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. Oh my God. One of the one of my favorite songs of all time. The classics, the classics. <laughs> that particular song was what, I guess you could say in retrospect, was considered um, an example of conscious rap because that was a, I guess you say, a, a, a subgenre that started coming up somewhere in the late 80s to where even though rappers were talking about, you know, their personal experiences and things that were happening in their neighborhoods, Rappers also started talking about the things that were happening world nationwide and worldwide on a more political level. And so the message was an example of that, where they were talking about things are happening. I'm stressed out. I'm anxious. This is happening. This is happening. This is happening. Don't push me. I'm liable to flip on your ass. And that's that was the idea of the whole song. But it was very relevant when we're talking about the general moves of how a lot of people of color were feeling at the time. So that song is an especially important benchmark when you talk about, even at that point, even early on in the genre, how it was already starting to splinter off into more specific subject matter. And I don't even think they did it on purpose. Mm -hmm. you know I mean, because, 
I think um, a lot of the terms come from, I guess, media or this, that, and the other. I think they just did, did what felt good to them. And mm. I'm not even sure if they knew if they were being conscious. They were really just speaking what was real to them and what they witnessed. And then somebody yeah. else coined it mm-hmm. something, right? right which right. makes it more organic that they didn't even know that right. it was a certain genre. It was just who they were. And it ends up being the stellar of hip hop. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And during this particular subgenre, there was there were other groups that came up. And again, like you said, it was more like in retrospect that a lot of fans started to collect these kinds of songs and these kinds of messages into that subgenre. And another group that explored or seemingly explored that at the time was Public Enemy. Yeah. And they mm-hmm. dropped 1988, a little album called It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back with... One single called Don't Believe the Hype. Yep. The minute they see me, fear me. I'm the epitome of public enemy. Used abuse without clues. I refuse to blow a fuse. They even had it on the news. Don't believe the hype. Don't, don't, don't believe the hype. Whatever you might think of public enemy now. And I, and just as a side note, I kind of, it kind of bothers me when you, when we talk about groups that were fundamental in the start, in the rise of hip hop, kind of being minimized or having their story not as fully fleshed out now as it should be in public ending was one of those like chuck b was no joke is no joke but unfortunately you know you got flavor flav who i mean he's an artist in his own right but there were just some some things he he's done you know in the recent years it's kind of it's taking the edge off and it's unfortunate it's 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 not me being you know hating on anybody or anything like that but i i don't think public enemy still gets to do that they deserve in this particular arena so yeah because the public enemy is hugely important to hip-hop mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. important to hip-hop flavor Flav is the first hype man yeah yeah you know what i mean he's the first hype man and a lot of people don't know because i met flavor Flav here in newport news oh that he's a uh he's really a trained musician yes yeah a lot of people don't know that he sat down and tried because i was in the r&b group at the time and um, a friend of mine knew him, and we were, he was trying to get us to sign the Public Enemies label at the time. And um, Flavor Flay sat down at the piano. Oh, you can sing? Here. He started <laughs> playing the piano. I want you to sing to this. And he's checking. He said, well, you're off key. You're this, this. And I was like, you don't know nothing about hip-hop. You're f- I mean, music. You're Flavor Flay. You only say, yeah, boy. Uh, <laughs> then he started playing, playing like a classic piano and all that stuff. And I was like, yo, don't ever judge anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think the stories of those types of those types of groups gets lost, especially nowadays with what with what hip hop is um, evolved into. And of course, we'll, we'll get to that. But and it, again, this is not me knocking it one way or the other, because everything has to evolve. But I think especially when you're looking at some of the, the newer and younger rappers that are coming out these days, I think sometimes where hip hop originated from and why it originated gets lost yeah. in, in some of those messages. But I digress. Um, other artists in this particular genre include uh, BDP, which are Boogie Down Productions, and their frontman KRS-One. Yep. Later on, and this goes in kind of more into the early 90s, we've got Arrested Development. Yep. Um, and for me personally, their biggest hit is like one of my tent poles, Tennessee. Walk the road, my forefathers walked. Climb the trees, my forefathers are from. Pass those trees for all their wisdom. They tell me my ears are so young. Go back to when 
since you came My family tree, my family life For some strange reason it had to be He guided me to Tennessee Take me to Um, mm, I have no words. Small story, though. That song came out in 92. And I want to say I was in my second year of college. And I was an art major. So we did all sorts of classes that didn't involve books. One of those classes was a sculpting class. And so while we're in class one day working on some projects, me and a handful of other uh, classmates, we've got the radio on and Tennessee comes on the radio. And we're listening. And then one of the one of the other kids looks up and says, I don't I don't understand this. What is this song supposed to be about? Ten, what Tennessee? What is he talking about? I was just like, it took everything I had in me not to throw my little piece of clay at him. Yeah. That, that's <laughs> that's how strongly I felt about what this song was saying. And then to have, you know, this kid not appreciate it. You know, I was a short tempered young person back in the day. I so. know. You're starting to actually <laughs> let us know. <laughs> letting us know right now <laughs> but uh i was like and that, that, that I, I felt about that way about that song man and i feel that same way even more now right. like i i can't describe it i won't do any justice if i try to describe what it means or what it's to, it, it's basically a, a kind of a a call back to pre-civil rights era and really the history of black americans in this country right um, and it's a wonderfully done, wonderfully done song. So listening friends, if you've never heard it, take a listen. It's well worth the time. Another example of the, the subgenre includes Queen Latifah's 1993 hit UNITY or Unity. Basically a song about respect, honestly. Since he was with his boys, he tried to break fly. Huh. I want some dead in his eyes. And I kind of I'm kind of ducking into a whole nether offshoot of hip hop, which includes female rappers. And when I say that that particular discussion is probably worth its own episode, so I won't go too far off. In those early days, the late 80s and especially into the 90s, we were looking at uh, Miss Latifah. We were looking at MC Light, Yo Yo, Little Kim came along later, more into the early mid 90s. Um, along with her was Fosse Brown. And then after some time, we've got, um, well, also in there, Salt and Pepper. And then after some time, we've got other women that come up, includes, including those that are prominent to this day, such as Virginia's own Missy Elliott. We've also got the Brat. Um, some that are, to me, just as significant, but not as well known. The Lady of Rage. She was one of the rappers that um, were with uh, Death Row Records. Yep, Virginia. Virginia. Um, so there was a lot of, there was obviously room for these, these women, but it was hard because even now hip hop, unfortunately remains slightly tinged with misogyny That's as far as I'll go. (laughs) But we also got to pay homage to the women that came before them. Uh, I can cite two, well, three. And I I think I know where you're going. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Shah Rock. Uh-huh. Um, we got Sequence, which was uh-huh. part of the Sugar Hill Records, which included Andy, Angie Stone, yes. R&B singer. Yes. And then we have Roxanne. Chante. Yes. Thank oh, you. Well, Thank and, you for that MC segue. Fight. Yes. Right. Beautiful segue. <laughs> Beautiful segue. Because that's our, our, next little, our next little story. It's about oh. Roxanne Chante. Yes. So 
and this this is this is one that Jack specifically mentioned. So I made sure I delved into and get some details on this particular story. There was a little song that came out in 1984 by a group called UTFO. Mm-hmm. Roxanne, Roxanne. And this is where this is a prime example where I say hip hop is tinged with a little misogyny. <laughs> um, <laughs> Roxanne, Roxanne was one of those. What I, I call it woman bashing. It's hard to say. They were talking about a girl specifically called Roxanne. But there was a young girl in New York City who, who was a budding MC herself and said, huh, I, I don't know about this song. So she popped up and made a little song called Roxanne's Revenge or otherwise known as Roxanne Speaks Out. And that was later on in 1984. He ain't really cute and he ain't great. He don't even know how to operate. He came up to me with some crabbish rap. But let me tell you something, don't you know it was whack. So when he came up to me, I told him to stand back. He said, you call yourself an MC. I said, this is true. He said, explain to me really what MCs must be. Better listen very close, because I don't say this every day. My name is Roxanne, and they call me Shante. But every time of that, I say I rhyme, I just I like a disser. These songs, uh, from what I read, have spurned somewhere in the neighborhood of 80 to 90 response songs over the course of several yeah. years, all involving or sending around this girl named Roxanne. Yeah, Roxanne's grandmother, Roxanne's everything. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was a big deal. Actually, that song is the one that got me starting starting to rap. Yes. Roxanne, Roxanne, mm-hmm. Roxanne, UTFO. Yeah. And then the song really is about dudes who just talk to each other about a certain girl mm-hmm. that they try to holler and she wouldn't give them no play. Yep. Right. That's basically it what it is. Nowadays, yeah. if you did the, you know, the first one and then response raps and all of that, all of 80 of them could take place in, you know, a two month period of time. Someone go and make yes. it, record it, upload it on YouTube, exactly. all of that. But back in the day, all of, you know, the first one came out and then it was like three months later, you get the response and yeah. then another three months before you get. The response to the response. And nowadays, all that would happen in like a week. <laughs> yeah. Nowadays, the whole family can make a record in a week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> be everybody in the Roxanne family. Everybody. But she looks like you said, she was one of the uh, forerunners as far as um, female MCs were concerned at the time. And, and, and still is out there telling her story. And I love I love that she's remembered for that. Yeah. There is no hip hop without the women, as far as I'm concerned. But, you know, it's not to say that it wasn't made hard for them, Um, but they bring a lot, obviously, to the genre. So there's no there's no talking about the genre if you can't talk about them. So Um, other artists in this early period include Curse Blow Mm -hmm. and one of my personal favorites, The Rain. Uh, Who? The Rain. Walking in the Rain? Yes. Oh yeah. We've also got um Dougie Fresh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I guess Slick you could Slick Rick, um, who came out with there's so many tent pole songs, it's ridiculous. The show. One minute rhymes that don't come out right, they bite. They never write, that's not polite. 
If I just hear that and then Lottie Dottie, those kind of go in a way, kind of hand in hand. Yeah. Can't forget the fat boys. Can't forget the fat boys. Um, And can't forget the Beastie Boys. Uh, 100%. 100%. Because I know, I remember personally rocking after them when I was in elementary school. Like, that was the big deal. You can't also, you you can't sleep on this. The big change early on, Mm -hmm. Errol Smith and Run DMC. I'm getting oh, there. Oh, yeah. Oh, my I'm, bad. I'm getting there. I got you. Run DMC. Forget that, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Which also ties into the uh, tracksuit theme that yes. you were discussing earlier. Because Run DMC literally had a song called My Adidas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yes, their song, their cover of Aerosmith's 1976 song, Walk This Way, was considered uh, the big and probably the best known so-called crossover. Yeah song between hip-hop and another genre of music and when i tell you that song blew people's minds back in the day We wouldn't we wouldn't have Rage Against the Machine if it wasn't for Public Enemy and that record mm-hmm. with Aerosmith and Run DMC, Limp Biscuit, um, all of these bands that came out in the '90s that mixed the two together mm-hmm. is because one, Public Enemy, two, that Run DMC and Aerosmith collabo. Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah. If I had my history correct, neither band. Run DMC nor Aerosmith wanted to do it. It was the producer that all. made them. And the You're funny right. thing I is, saw, I saw that <laughs> Aerosmith had broken up before that, and they had just released. Then they got back together, released an album, and it tanked. Right. And then they did Walk This Way. They were finally convinced they did it, and that's what brought their career back. Mm-hmm. Actually, they were probably bigger after that than they were before that. Mm-hmm. That is true. They were. That was. They, I think during that Dream On years, when they had that song Dream On, they were mm-hmm. big, but they weren't big, big. But um, that Run DMC collabo really took them over, brought them back. Neither one of them wanted to do the record. And this is because of the um, interviews that we've seen, folks. We weren't there when it happened. <laughs> <Just out of> their <laughs> right. mouths, just want to clear that up. Yeah, neither one of them wanted to do it. Run DMC wanted to write original lyrics. Rick Rubin, shout out to Rick Rubin. Another reason why I'm a producer too is because of, um, he's a, he influenced me heavy. Who produced the record said, "No, you should rap their original lyrics." Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean? Run DMC. I mean, Aerosmith didn't like it because they didn't understand what hip hop was. Mm-hmm. Changed the world. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And from there, we're starting to see, as as any creative genre, I think, ought and should do, we start to see it shifting and evolving as we come into from the late 80s into the 90s. And a lot of, again, scholars and pop culturalists sem- mark a date somewhere in the late 80s into the 90s as a shift into what was considered so-called the new school. And for me personally, the 90s was probably the golden age of hip-hop as far as i'm concerned but i can agree what that particular period saw was a rise in the sub the subgenre called gangster rap which um 
I guess you could say blossom on the opposite coast in California. And the biggest name out of that particular subgenre was NWA. And for controversial as they were, they weren't entirely wrong about what they were talking about. That's the whole thing. Something can make you uncomfortable and be telling the truth, which to a certain extent they did. And out of NWA, we saw Easy e we saw Dr. Dre, we saw Ice Cube. Those three were the most prominent end up I guess you'd say, breaking out of that particular group and went on their own trajectories, not without a lot of animosity. Because you've ever heard a story about NWA, you'll know what happened there. But yeah. um, my favorite always has been out, out of all of them was Ice Cube. But, um, you know, he went on and did his thing and all the rest of them. Of course, we know if you have your ear to ground, you, you're into the genre at all. You know about what things Dr. Dre has had and what he's contributed to the genre as far as the artists that he's brought along. So that was not as big of a subgenre anymore as it was because that was the era that we started seeing I guess you say gang activity start rising up a great deal and spreading out from the west coast out so it's yeah. not as big as a subgenre as it used to be that there's I think even that subgenre has evolved into something else at this and point it, and with the regards to like the gangster rap there's a battle between that uh, mm-hmm. you know that mm-hmm. who started that gangster stuff because even in New York there's this one group called Mob Style mm-hmm. they claim and they were like right before NWA or probably around about the same time they claim that they were the ones who actually were the first to do it now Mob Style is interesting I'm not sure if you ever heard of the story the movie um, Peyton Fool yes Peyton I have yeah it was a pretty good movie it's based on a true story and um it's got um three guys Fazy uh no not Fazy sorry AZ Rich Rich Porter and Alpo three drug mm-hmm. dealers that were drug dealers as teenagers making millions of dollars in the 80s early 80s mm-hmm. and it's a whole big story about what's going on their movie their story has been told in so many movies without citing them it's just crazy um but one of the guys, AZ, decided to give it all up and he made a rap record and it was a gangster type thing. But then NWA came out after that. Not saying NWA copied them. They were more successful with it. But there's a battle between like who was the first gangster rap, but nobody knows who Mob Style is. I know who they are. Mm-hmm. Then you got Ice T. Ice yes. T was before. Yes. Yeah. NWA. Yeah. And Wasn't was- Ice T and uh the rapper in Breaking when they had their first uh Yep. Breakdance yep. battle. Wasn't that Ice-T? Yep. yep. That man was a pimp. Yes. And Ice-T. I don't mean that figuratively. He was a literal pimp. <laughs> Ice-T. Yeah. Look, Ice-T knows everything, mm-hmm. everybody, everywhere. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, if you watch his podcast, he's got a story for every single thing. Mm-hmm. He's been in it. He's mm-hmm. like one of the mm-hmm. first people to come over here to the East Coast and get some love over here. Mm-hmm. You know, even though yeah. the East Coast wasn't checking for the West Coast type style. Not not at the time. Not at the time. I just remember there was the big controversy because didn't he have the rap? Uh, was it Cop Killer? Cop killer. Yeah. yeah. And what was he the is, group? He's Body now count. played a cop. Body count. He's now played a cop longer than a, long, a lot of cops are actually cops for their career yeah, that's <laughs> right. that, and that wasn't the first time he played a cop because it was new jack city yeah yeah so yeah and segueing into that we during this period we're, we started seeing a lot of movies that uh centered around or had a theme somewhere in hip-hop culture starting with as we mentioned a little bit earlier wild style all the way back in 1983 
We've got Beach Street and Breaking, just the first one, because the second one don't count. Those are both in 1984. <laughs> now, Breaking now Breakin is supposed to be loosely based on, you know who Tony Bezo is? I do not. Oh, Mickey, you're so fine. You're so oh, fine. okay. Yeah. Oh, that's she, her. She was part of the, um, she's one of the first breakdancers in L.A. that was um, used to breakdance and be in a group with Rerun. And Shabadoo, the one who played in Breaking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She yeah. actually helped choreography. Yeah, that that girl who played Kelly in Breaking yeah. is really supposed to be loosely based on her character. Her I life. did not know that. I did not yeah. know that either. I like that. Wow. Yep. We've got, um, and you know who else had a, a bit part at the beginning of Breaking? Sean yeah. Paul, I think. Oh, yeah. Yes. The Strangely like- enough, there's one rap line from um not breaking beat street that i still remember that they had they were doing that special thing and it was around christmas time oh yeah i yeah, still yeah. remember yeah. this and the line is you better be glad that i didn't quit because i'm getting kind of old for this santa claus shit yeah. i have no idea <laughs> that was kumo d that's yeah. another story we gotta get back to kumo d in the first battle rap big bang battle rap but yeah i remember that I, uh, oh, oh, oh merry christmas my foot i'm gonna tell you what santa really put <laughs> under my so-called tree but in reality look, looked like nothing but a decorated pole to me yeah yeah and then there was oh uh, uh you know <laughs> this this was the times but what was it my gi joe was gi gay or something yeah like that. yeah oh yeah that was the times folks <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's what happened it, it was the 80s what can we do oh <laughs> that was great uh, that was a good one jack that was a good one I, I, that i'll be like an dying in a nursing home or something and my final words will be i'll lean over to my kids and i'll go you better be glad that i didn't quit because i'm getting kind of old for this santa claus shit and they're gonna and then i'll kill over and they're gonna be like what the hell does that mean i never thought about using that for my daughters that's funny y'all are y'all are mess yeah somebody's gotta do it other other little bit later movies include the legendary and iconic and i'll, I'll take no words besides those to describe it house party 1990 oh, great yes um juice 1992 which great. for me in his very short career i will chalk that up as tupac's finest yeah uh, movie performance i think he would have had a huge career in film had he lived yeah he did it so well that they thought that that's exactly who he was, even though I think part of part of that role really stuck with them. And, and in public, whenever he would do interviews or something like that, kind of gave that persona off. Mm-hmm. But he did that role so well. Yes, he did. He was Bishop for the rest of his life. It was it was yeah. beautifully done. It was it was beautifully done. We've got a not so serious movie in 1993 by everybody's comedian Chris Rock, CB4, yeah. which was nothing but a spoof sla- a satire of NWA. Right. And and I, and you know what? I'm sorry, I don't give him enough credit because it was a it was telling as far as the culture um, of gangster rap and what it meant to represent and actually be quote unquote black at, at that particular time. So there was a little bit more depth to it than at first sight, but it was a silly movie. I always remember it though fondly. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, and then of course the aforementioned New Jack City in 1991, Belly 1998. Yeah. That's that starred uh the rapper Nas and the now unfortunately deceased DMX. I, I'll never cheer for Nas as an actor. I mean he's a gifted lyricist, obviously, but DMX stole that movie. Hands up and down to me. Yeah, DMX is dope. Yeah, absolutely. Another one. 
And those are just a handful of examples of, of movies that came out during that stretch of time that were inspired and centered around the hip hop culture. But now we're starting to segue through the 90s into the late 90s and then what we're looking at here. And like I said, the 90s to me are like the golden age of, of rap. And it goes without saying a lot of the names that we know we think about now or artists that came out during that period. Uh, Notorious B.I.G., Tupac, um, N.W.A. with Dre. Um, some people like throw Diddy's name in there. He wasn't he was a producer and a record label owner. He was more of an influencer than anything. But he utilized the gifts of a lot of people around him. I'll just say that. Yeah, um, oh my God. But ba- I mean, bad boy is you can't say hip hop without saying bad boy or yeah. uptown or any of those kind of labels. So he's significant to me in yeah. that regard. Um, into the 90s, though, late 90s, we start to see more producers coming up. Um, Timberland was one of them, Virginia's own. I met him once. He's a short man. Yeah. Um <laughs> We've got Jay-Z, Ja Rule, interesting enough. And it kind of blows my mind when I think about, and this may be just how old I am, but thinking about the fact that Eminem was in there in the late 90s and started coming out. Then I'm like, I guess he did. Yeah. And the one thing mm-hmm. I've always appreciated about Eminem is that he always appreciated the genre without trying to ape it. Right. He, no matter. He studied it. it. It was in his pores. Yes. It mm-hmm. was one of those things you can tell it was authentic. And yep. um, I remember when I first saw him, we were moving to L.A., moving in our apartment, and um, we put on MTV. First thing we saw was like, hi, my name is. Hi. Yeah. And then um, we were watching and I was like, yo, what's this? And then he said, hi. Do you like violence? Do you like to stick one, <laughs> each one of my eyelids? And then I turned to my boy. I was like, yo, this, this dude, dude is dope. <laughs> he was like, oh, he sucks. I was like, are you? do you hear what he's saying? You hear how he's putting this together? He's rhyming words that aren't supposed to rhyme. Yes. Are you serious? Yes. I knew he was going to be a, a big deal right then, there, just from that one song. Then I bought his album. The whole album was crazy because it was a whole movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. I think, I guess, and maybe this is just me making up my own my own terms. I would venture to call him like a stream of consciousness type of rapper, not a storyteller, but he's just literally saying what's on his mind. And it just, everything just strings together and it looks a little psychotic, but <laughs> he's literally saying, this is me. This is what I'm about. And this is what's going on. Like it or not, take it as you will. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, very, very, very gifted. And mm-hmm. uh, my favorite from him really is Stan of all time. Stan. Oh yeah, is yeah. my favorite. Ooh, One that's of my wild. favorites. What was the song he and like for the life of me, I don't know if it was one of his or something he did. But he did it with Dre, but I don't know which one of them it's credited to. Where he says, "Stand next to the burned down house with a with a can of gasoline and matches." Oh yeah, yeah, he did that Dre. Yeah. yeah, I yeah. love that line. I'm like, he's nuts. He's absolutely nuts, and I appreciate that he never wavered from that. He wasn't trying to pretend to be someone he wasn't. No. So for all the grief that people want to heap on him, I, I agree with you, Tim. He's gifted. He's one of he's one of the good ones, yeah. regardless of the yeah. fact that he's not black. Oh my dear God. So I, bef- well, he saved the he saved the um he saved the the white rapper i mean we had good like um third base they were good yeah but then vanilla right. ice came out and you know it made black people think that oh yeah white people leave leave this alone eminem <laughs> brought that back he did. Right. was like yo i love this genre too i'm not even trying to rape or pillage or try to take the genre i'm in love with it and mm-hmm. this is from all the people that i've learned from this is 
how I want to give back to them. Yeah. And he's right. authentic, whereas a lot of people take advantage of it just for the money. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we forgot yeah. Buster Rhymes, too. Buster Rhymes, though. Buster, mm-hmm. uh, leaders of this new school. Yes. yes. And they yeah. they went kind of hand in hand or had a partnership, I guess, in a way with Tribe Called Quest. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, they were part of the native tongues. Yes. Yes, exactly. And I tell you, Buster Rhymes was just a part of a group until... Was it scenario? Uh, was that the song? The, I think he wasn't he still in the group. No, he was no. still in the group, but it was like no one knew him as Buster Rhymes standalone right. until that song. Scenario. Yeah. And everybody's like, "Who's this?" And then you know he like blazed the trail like bloof. So yeah, he said that they right. kicked him out. No, he said they kicked him out of the group. He didn't know. And this is the interview I saw just recently. See, they kicked him out, and then he had to. Um, try to find a way to get his way back in. Oh wow. So that's when he started doing the, you know, the hoorah and all that stuff. Blew up from that. Then he was coming with this album and I forgot what it was. Puffy, he said that Puffy came to him because he was playing him this one song. Mm-hmm. He said, bruh, you need to stop yelling. No, these women ain't trying to hear you yelling all the time. <laughs> and the other screaming in a woo, woo row, row, like the dungeon dragon all the time. And then he's, and that's when he took that approach with put your hands where my eyes can see, mm-hmm. to where you see he's laid back. Yep. Like hit you with no delay and says, What you saying, yo? Silly with the nine milli, but the diddly, yo. Yes. Changed the That game. was it. He did. Yep. He did. And to this day, I don't know that I will ever understand or fully appreciate his guest verse on uh, Chris, um, Chris Brown's. Um, oh. It's a recent one. Why is it? Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Talking about where um, you can't understand what he's saying, but he's still saying something. Yes. <laughs> what was the name of it again? Um. Oh, look at me now. Look at me now. Yes. I'm getting paper. Hell, Breezy. Let me show you how to keep the dice rolling when you're doing that thing over there, homie. Yeah. Oh my gosh. His verse on that is bananas. Like, I think I pulled a muscle the first time I heard that verse. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what is he saying? And why is it brilliant? And yes. But that's that thing. Jamaica. That's that yeah. Jamaica in him. And a lot of people don't understand majority of the roots of hip hop is based in yes. the um Caribbeans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jamaica. No, that's where that rhythm, all that stuff comes from. Biggie. Yes. Yes. Because his because of his mother, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, before we delve it like into 2000, sort of up to now, um, mm-hmm. I didn't know if you were going to mention uh, Two Live Crew and Luke Skywalker because oh, yes. they were huge, but not necessarily in the way everyone thinks because they're the reason there are explicit lyric warning stickers on albums yes. is right. because of Two Live Crew. And it ticked off at the time, Tipper Gore, Al Gore's wife, and it started that whole that whole thing. Yes. yes. True story. And that's a yeah. that's a good segue into this period of time because now we're starting to see um the rap game trickle down to the south. Um mm-hmm. we've got Miami, where two live crew is from, we've got Texas, we've got 
uh, Louisiana. We've got Georgia. So yeah, let's let's talk about two live crew and yeah, because uh, Luke thing. Skywalker got arrested on stage multiple times. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. a lot. And this is early on. This is when we still East Coast still wasn't checking for anything that didn't sound like East East Coast mm-hmm. rap. Mm-hmm. But he was doing it on his own. Got arrested so many times. I remember. I think he was on either Donahue or something, and he performed. And the ladies, you could see the faces. <laughs> the looks on their faces like oh my god i can't believe they have this guy up here <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but he's very important for the um the sticker and all that could because they were trying to um halt freedom of um expression and and this that and the other freedom of speech yeah yeah it actually inspired a song on uh from the nine inch nails that's on the downward spiral called big yes. Gun. Yeah, most people don't realize that because it was a, you know, that was such a huge controversy at the time, and so Trent Reznor was like, "I'm going to write an, I'm going to write a song that's sort of mocking the whole thing." Yes, and then he kept getting people kept like in Congress saying the rap song "Big" by Nine Inch Nails is like that's not a rap song, dude. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, shout out to Trent Reznor, another guy that I actually follow in, in my journey of creating music behind film. Love, oh, yeah. love him. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. But um yeah, and, and that whole business with two live crew and, and uh Tipper, and there was another woman that was involved in that who's not as well known, C Dolores Tucker. Yeah, um, yeah. I remember that Tupac mentions her quite a few times. Um heavily involved in the push towards creating the parental advisory stickers. Yeah. Um on albums. At that particular point, I think we're in the C D era. So yeah, don't let your kids another listen one, to this. Another one, what's his name? Was Frank Zappa? Oh, yeah, he helped in that. Yes, Frank Zappa okay. and um, and what's his name? Uh, um, from Twisted Sister, Dean Snyder. D. Snyder. Snyder. D. Snyder. D. Snyder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. That that I did not know. He would be the yeah, last it, person. <laughs> well, I only think it was for. I don't think on his end it was for hip hop. It was just for the genre. In for any in general mm-hmm. any kind of explicit thing that you try to curtail mm-hmm. they were about that yeah now yeah he um, he Zappa, testified in uh congress didn't he 100 100 yeah, yeah. they even got footage of it mm-hmm. yep. yeah that is a new one for me i had to look into that my goodness yeah but um so like i say we're coming out in the 90s into the 2000s and for me personally that's kind of when again you, you can't have a, a genre that's lasted as long as this one has and not evolved to an extent. But I, I feel like that what we've gotten in the last 15, 20 years is pale in comparison. Yeah. Um, we, we're starting to look at more subgenres. Um, a lot of the stuff that we've been listening to probably in the last 10 years or so has been under what, what they call trap music, which I think is an evolution straight. I like gangster rap to an extent. Yeah, trap. Um, well, trap is really a uh, down south kind of term. True. You know, the trap houses, mm-hmm. you know, selling drugs and stuff like that. Yeah. And um, yeah, trap music then it became drill music. But the early two thousands was good. Yes, the early two thousands. Yes, because, and I, 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 I am remiss because I'm skipping over something. There was a period there in the mid mid nineties up until the end of the century that we started seeing hip hop crossover into R&B. Yeah. And 
there are a lot of ways to approach and a lot of a lot of different explanations on how that happened. But a lot of people agree that that centered around a subgenre called New Jack Swing, um, which was had many contributors, but lar- by and large, it's attributed to a little fella by the name of Teddy Riley. <laughs> yeah, Teddy Riley. Um, who's also from Virginia. Go ahead. Um, no, he's well, not from Virginia. He's from New York. He's, he worked here for a while, put that way. Yeah, he actually, yeah, he moved to moved to Virginia Beach. Mm-hmm. That's how he got all of us and all that stuff, the Pharrells. And, and I, but a lot of people don't don't know that he's the one who produced the show for Dougie Fresh and um, yes. and Slick Rick. And he was young. That Inspector Gadget thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure did. Yeah, he was really young too. He came out the gate early. So yeah. he's he's really influential in seeing that crossover because he had himself, he fronted three different groups and then wrote and produced for countless other acts. And well, he's the- responsible for a lot of young people's to long, people like me to be able to produce. Because mm-hmm. we we can't, I mean, Teddy Riley's a musician. He can right. play, he can play live, but a right. lot of us, we just love music mm-hmm. and just figure it out. But with Teddy Riley he allowed people like me to be able to create music, what we hear in our head and be able to work with artists to where the term producer changed from how Quincy Jones was Mm -hmm. to where you just oversee the record Mm -hmm. to where you're actually involved in creating the record. Right. Oh, for folks, record record is what we used to say back in the day. Tracks, beats, music. (laughs) (laughs) Just in case y'all didn't get it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yes, yeah, absolutely right. He's to to be honest, he's one of the ones that kind of gave people like Diddy the footing that he is to be now fully immersive in yeah. in the works of their arts instead of just being someone that stood over and told people what to do and where to put it. Now they're all in it. And, right. and granted, Diddy doesn't have as much inherent talent, let's say, as a Teddy Riley does. But he became well, not that kind of not, not the, kind. But he is. I would say he's creative. Yes. Puffy is really, he's really creative. He has an ear. He's the one who picked, he, he's the one who would go in there. No, no, change it to this, do this, blah, 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 this, that. He's the overseer, producer, right. Right. type, not hands-on. Right, exactly. So you've, you've got a lot of, like I said, in that period, going into the, the new century, you've got a lot of, like you said, a new way of looking at in getting involved in how the music is made and then, you know, shifting and crossing over into other genres. And now you've got hip hop and R&B, which is where organically it was always bound to end up. But now hip hop is crossing over into country. We've got yeah. it crossing into rock, um, rock, which we yeah. mentioned a couple of times before. And I said, it's evolving into something else right now. And I'm, I almost want to see, I almost want to say it's sort of like a resurgence kind of stepping back into what it used to be maybe 30 years before, but I don't know. Maybe that's just wishful thinking. It's wishful thinking right now. <laughs> but we've, I've, me personally, there's some, there's some artists that are out right now that I greatly enjoy. Not as many as I do old school artists. Yeah. Um, Kendrick Lamar is one of them. Yeah. Um, J. Cole. J. Cole, another. Um, and for what it's worth, and people will say what they will about her. I like Meg Thee Stallion. She is yeah. so entertaining to me. And there's only a handful of, of uh, women rappers that are out there right now that are, are moving anything. A lot of them are more regional or more fan based than anything. Because in, in the heyday of TikTok, anybody can get up and do anything. Yeah, I like mm-hmm. Cardi B, though. Cardi B is funny. 
That, yeah, I like, I like her energy and I like the fact that she's smart and she knows exactly what she's doing. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, some of the stuff I really do like out there, but because uh, I got a lot of friends that would be like, oh, yeah, listening to that. That's not real music, this, that, and the other. It's like our parents said the same thing about our music. Their sure parents is. said the same thing about their music. So yeah, it is an evolution. That's all it is. It really the difference is. is our parents and grandparents were wrong and were correct. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Like I'll I'll be I'll be in the car with my daughter and she'll hijack my radio and plug her phone in and you know she'll put on one of her mixes or whatever. I'm like, who the hell is this? Right. And sometimes she don't even know. I'm like, who? And then I'll just, you know, be watching something on the internet or listening to some some random thing on my streaming music, and I'll hear somebody and I'll I'll text her. I'll be like, You heard of this group before? She said, Ma, I told about that. I told you about them three years ago. I was like uh, okay <laughs> my bad <laughs> oops she's like you don't ever listen to me i'm like maybe maybe not <laughs> and yeah and hip-hop has influenced everything even down to i remember classical music was the big thing for films mm-hmm. but backdrop music in films or just synthesized now is hip-hop some it, sort of hip hop in any kind of series you watch today, any kind of even pop music is heavily influenced by hip hop. And it's funny that hip hop actually gave a lot of Caucasian people rhythm. I'm not going right. to lie. No, I've never seen so many Caucasian people, white people that had rhythm, which is a great thing. I'm, I know I love it. And it's like they're born out the womb with rhythm now. You know what I mean? It's just crazy. I've never seen it. It, that's one of the big jokes in the Steve Martin movie, The Jerk, because yes. uh, yeah. yeah, his yes. character was raised by a poor black family in the South, and he'd sit there and try to clap, and he couldn't and do he it. Couldn't do <laughs> it. <laughs> he was on the one in three. Just... Yeah, <laughs> no, but it's crazy because I remember in the eighties and um, early nineties, you know, it was kind of a struggle, even though you know the music was loved everywhere. But now it's just like automatic. It's easy. My, one of my ex girlfriends, um. She couldn't snap on beat. <laughs> you know what I mean? She really couldn't snap on beat and blah, blah, blah. But I never judged her because I understood. Her. I just didn't know what part of the record she was listening to. To right. get the rhythm. I, it, I didn't know. But, I, you know, we would slow dance, though. And she would try to move to her own rhythm. I had to lead the way, you know what I mean, to the rhythm, this, that, and the other. Because I don't know what she was listening to. But nowadays, it's good because hip-hop has influenced a lot of consciousness in a lot of people's minds. Mm-hmm. They look at certain things different. You know, everybody's willing to be themselves, mm-hmm. comfortable with themselves. You know, majority of people, because I know a lot of people still struggle with self-doubt, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. But um, it is giving away like for an escape because like right now we're on a Zoom call and we're wearing T-shirts. Back in the day, we would have to be suited up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. No hats. <laughs> there, there is, you're right. And there's a certain, yeah, there's a certain comfortability in, in that. And even where, you know, my estimation where hip hop is right now, there's a certain kind of realness that it's always going to have, I think, that mm-hmm. you you won't, I don't think you, I don't, me personally, I don't see it to the same degree in other genres as I see it in hip hop. And that's, always where 
and granted, I wasn't a hip hop head from the very, very beginning. I didn't come into it until somewhere to the mid nineties. And then I kind of backstepped and said, Oh, you know, because right. you know, yeah. this is before the interwebs, but yeah, you know. Now the country, now country, I can say they used to be real. Well, I'll say more with the outlaws, like the um Waylon Jennings and the mm-hmm. uh uh Willie Nelson. Willie Nelsons, yeah. Mm-hmm. Those those guys, um Johnny Cash, they were stuck true to who they were and mm-hmm. it and it showed in their music, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, just that the other real life everything. Oh, so, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Listening friends, we are glad that you stuck with us through this lengthy discussion of the history of hip hop. Please tune in next week and join us for part two as we do sort of more personal observations on particular songs or artists or discussions centered around hip-hop that are relevant to us. We hope you join us. Come back and see us later. Yes, and if you would like to support us to have further endeavors like that, you can buy us a coffee at buymeacupofcoffee.com backslash hyperfocuspods. That's why I don't rap right there. <laughs> and with that we'll we'll catch you next week and now folks it's time to say good night we sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment please drive home carefully and come back again soon good night <laughs> <laughs>